Trojan fans. It's time for another installment of the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast. We give you the inside scoop on everything about USC football recruiting from the experts who know what they're talking about. Which players have an offer, which ones don't, who the coaches like, and who our experts like. And now, here are your co-hosts for the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher Ryan Abraham and uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. Hello Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. Today we're going to talk some USC football recruiting, counting down the signing day, actually two weeks till signing day. So we're going to talk with Gerard Martinez, uh, uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst. You can follow him on Twitter at gmartlive. No one is more plugged in. I can guarantee you the USC football recruiting than Gerard Martinez. So we got a lot of questions to get to. There's some topics about official visitors from last weekend. Coming up this weekend, some more big official visits at USC. So we're going to talk to Gerard about that. If you have any questions for us, you can always email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Dot com, or you can leave us a voicemail a couple different ways. Call 641-715-3900, extension 816-646, or go to our website, parastylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page and leave a voicemail from your computer or your mobile device right there on the site. Of course, go to itunes.com slash parastylepodcast. That's our permanent URL on iTunes. If you want to subscribe to the show, rate the show, leave comments, that's our direct URL, itunes.com slash Peristyle Podcast. Well, let's bring in the man, Gerard Martinez. What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, a lot happening, both on the recruiting angle of things, but also the coaching angle of things. So sort of double duty, sort of in that uh, recruiting team beat limbo during this time of year. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, well, you know, I probably not do a specific segment on the coaching stuff. Just a you know, quick recap that um, that was announced that Johnny Nansen was going to be taking over. As the linebacker coach, he'll be the new recruiting coordinator. Just to, so that's of note for the recruiting podcast, of course. But the new guy coming in, Tommy Robinson, we actually, uh, you know, broke that on Monday. We, we reported on Monday that Tommy Robinson was going to be coming in and joining the staff. He'll be coaching running backs and be, uh, I think it's the run game coordinator, all these different coordinators and stuff going on. But so yeah, so there's still one spot left. Um, a lot of talk about who's going to be the defensive line coach. We'll kind of maybe get into that with some of the questions. Um, but that's, you know, the staff is just about in place. Uh, five former, uh, Lane Kiffin assistants on the staff. So it's, uh, kind of going back to the, the days when Lane Kiffin took over. A lot of those guys, former assistants, um, of Lane's are now on staff again. Of course, Clay Helton was one of those guys. Um, but I wanted to, I guess we'll start off, Gerard. First big official, uh, visit weekend last weekend. Mostly committed guys have come in. So not, you know, a whole lot of stuff going on there, but there was a few guys that came in were uncommitted. Maybe you want to give like kind of quick recap of uh, what was going on. Yeah, real quick, because really it came down to three uncommitted, undecided visitors that was visiting USC just last weekend. Uh, the number one player in the country, Paramus, New Jersey, five-star defensive tackle, Rashawn Gary was the big visitor. And Rashawn Gary actually came in Thursday and stayed until uh, Sunday. And uh, actually you only get the 48 hours for an official visit, but he had come uh, and, I guess arrived in Los Angeles and didn't actually meet the coaching staff straight away. And so he was actually able to stay a, a little longer on his own dime. And the visit went well from everybody's account, I think both on USC side of things and Rashawn Gary side of things. Um, certainly, you know, his mom 
uh, talked a little bit uh, to scouts uh, Brian Doan a little bit about the visit and, and raved about Los Angeles and raved about USC and really enjoyed the visit. I think the biggest issue is that there's distance there and that while his mom liked Los Angeles, uh, it's not very likely that she's going to come out and move to Los Angeles, and that's kind of the big issue. Uh, she wants to be involved with his life. I think they're very close, and there's just going to be other schools which – uh, she lives closer to that she's going to have more access to during the week, during the year that uh, she can be with her son. And it's understandable. Uh, distance is a factor for a lot of families, and I think that's probably the biggest hurdle for USC. The other issue at that point in time is that USC had not named a defensive line coach at that point. Uh, Kenicio Dizzy did host uh, Rashawn Gary on campus. Uh, Gavin Morris was another assistant uh, that also was with uh, Rashawn Gary a lot. And now it sounds like, uh, from our sources that we're hearing, Kenicio Dizzy is actually going to be named the defensive line coach at USC. So, sort of in retrospect, uh, USC did have a defensive line coach on campus that was hosting Rashawn Gary. At that point, it was just not announced yet. Uh, is that a guy that's going to be able to close the deal with the number one player in the country, uh, not having a prior relationship with him, really up until the point of him taking the official visit? Probably not. I think uh, you're talking about schools like Ohio State, Michigan, even Clemson that have a long-standing relationship with Rashawn Gary. Rashawn Gary's uh, former high school coach actually is now a coach at Michigan, and that's why a lot of people feel like Michigan has the edge in his recruitment. So, well, USC, I think, put their best foot forward. I think that uh, they had a puncher's chance. Uh, at this point, we don't expect Rashawn Gary to commit to USC. Uh, Kenichi Odizi is actually flying out uh, this week. Uh, to go out and take an in-home visit with Kenichi Odizi, and Clay Helton will probably meet him up there in New Jersey. Uh, so they're going to continue to recruit him. You never know. Maybe, you know, a miracle happens at the end of the day, but at this point we don't expect it. Uh, a guy that USC has a better shot at is uh, Phoenix defensive lineman uh, Connor Murphy. Connor Murphy, a 6'7", 250-pound defensive end, uh, a guy that uh, was being really recruited by Peter Sermon up until the end where Peter Sermon now taking the defensive coordinator job at Mississippi State. Uh, Connor Murphy had a great visit. His whole family showed up. Um, a guy that uh, really likes Clay Helton, really likes the situation at USC. I think it's going to come down to probably Arizona State and USC. Michigan is there as well, uh, but at this point I think it's really an Arizona State uh, USC battle, and uh, you know he is the brother of Trent Murphy. Trent Murphy went to Stanford. You know, education and, and academics are probably a big deal to the family, and that might be something that you know USC gets him and and maybe a little under the radar. I think a lot of people really weren't looking at USC as a big player for him, but I think after this official visit, uh, they have established themselves in a good position. Um, not necessarily a lock. Not necessarily would I go and say he's a lean to USC right now. I just think USC has a very good chance to get him. He still has official visits uh, to come, and so we'll see how the process plays out for him. But I think with the distance and I think with the academics, USC's in a pretty good position for him. Uh, another player that they have a very good um, chance at getting, and I would say probably the best chance out of those three right now, is Kazir White, the uh, 6'2", 205-pound safety out of uh, uh, Lackawanna, uh, Pennsylvania, who's actually a junior college. He's from Lackawanna College. And a guy that really kind of came out of left field a little bit, USC just offered him a scholarship uh, just before New Year's. And um, a guy that took the official visit came out with his family. He's currently committed uh, right now to West Virginia, but a lot of people feel like this is a Penn State-USC battle. Uh, he really liked USC. A lot of confidence on USC side of things. He's been pretty quiet about the official visit. I spoke to him just 
briefly by text and haven't been able to really get him on the phone and, and get some detail about his official visit. Uh, but there's a lot of confidence, again, coming from this side of the country, that USC is going to be able to get him. And they really do need to be able to get him because uh, one guy that they sort of fallen off a little bit for is uh, Lamar Jackson, the uh, six. Uh, 6'3", 210-pound uh, safety, four-star safety from Elk Grove, California. And that was a guy that was really a silent rule to USC for a lot of the year. But then you had Keith Hayward fired, had a great relationship with Keith Hayward. And then USC loses Peter Sherman, was the guy that kind of picked up the slack on his recruitment after Keith Hayward left. So when you had that kind of coaching turnover, you had a little bit of a gap in the communication. And I think USC, really in Northern California, they have a lot of issues with just the communication and and the transition of the the, the hires uh, from the old staff that was there in place with Steve Sarkeesian and the new staff with Clay Helton hiring guys. Uh, there was just a, a big gap between the guys that he fired and the guys that he brought on. We don't really know why. It's kind of an odd thing that, you know, they fired those guys as early as they did and weren't able to hire new guys, uh, but that hurt them with Lamar Jackson. And right now it sounds like Lamar Jackson is between Arizona State and Nebraska. So with Kazir White, he becomes a little more of an impact player. He's actually the brother of Kevin White, uh, the former um, uh, wide receiver at West Virginia, a guy that's in the pros now, a uh, fantastic athlete, a little more of a box safety, kind of like Lamar Jackson, a bigger kid, uh, but extremely athletic. I mean, one of the better athletes, I think, in the college, uh, junior college level and a guy that certainly could be an impact player pretty early for USC. You hope he is because uh, you're bringing in a guy with not as much eligibility, so he's got to be able to make an impact a little sooner. You know, he's physically a little more advanced than you would be of a high school player, and so uh, he's a guy that we'll see what happens. It's, it's been quiet, but um, a lot of anticipation that this is going to come down to Penn State and USC. All right. Well, that was a uh, you know, recap of last weekend, another big recruiting weekend coming up. This weekend, uh, Gerard, um, I know, I think, I don't know if we talked about it, but we're scheduled, we'll probably do some special stuff this weekend on the, maybe we can do some chats and stuff, recruiting chats, which should be cool. But, um, I wanted to kind of get your, your thoughts on what's going on for USC upcoming this weekend. Yeah, USC was really going to have a big Florida weekend this weekend, and, and it still will have a few different recruits coming in from Florida. Uh, you're going to have uh, Ja'Kai Polite, who's a 6'4", 230-pound defensive end uh, from Mainland High School, the same high school that produced Leonard Williams. He's currently committed to Florida, but a guy that's definitely looking at USC. You've got uh, Kenyoto Hudson, an uh, administrative assistant. It's been really been activated kind of as a full-time uh, recruiting uh, assistant on the road for USC and recruiting uh, areas that, you know, he's got a lot of good ties in. And so he's been set up a lot of visits offering a lot of kids. They offered seven different kids from the 2017 class from Florida uh, yesterday because he was down there with Clay Helton. So uh, right now you've got Ja'Kai Polite coming in, uh, who's, a like I said, a, a defensive end, sort of a hybrid type player, stand-up defensive end, a guy that kind of played the same position as Quentin Powell did in Mainland, but a much bigger athlete. Um, you also have Evan Henson, who's kind of a, a sort of Russian type athlete as well, 6'5", 225 pounds uh, from Deltona. Florida, a guy that uh, was a, kind of originally committed to Miami and backed off that commitment, uh, a really superior athlete, a really, really good basketball player, actually, and um, a, a guy that USC might have a chance with. I think that distance is, again, going to be a little bit of an issue. Um, I talked to him a little bit about that a few weeks ago, and he talked about, you know, his dad actually did work in uh, in uh, San Francisco. He, he worked for the University of San Francisco as a basketball coach, and Evan Henson's been around the country a lot with AAU. But the question is going to be, 
you know, now his parents are living in Florida, with him being across the country, can his parents handle that? I know Evan Henson can handle that. He's been away from home almost every summer since he was probably about eight, nine years old. But it becomes one of those things that can the family handle it? You know, can the family handle not seeing their son for, you know, months at a time during the football season when every Friday they've been going down there. And, you know, with Evan playing basketball, they, you know, part of, of his uh, scholastic career really all his life during the whole year. So that's going to be really the question with those two kids. Um, you're not going to have Jamel Cook come in this uh, this weekend. He was supposed to come in. He's a 6'4", 190-pound uh, safety, four-star safety out of Miami Central High School. He's a sophomore to Florida State. He's going to end up coming in uh, January 29th now, so he's bumped his visit back. Um, so it's still going to have you know a couple big-time guys coming in from Florida. Uh, we'll see how the rest of the the visit weekend sort of plays out. You know, there's some shifting going on. Samisi Luaki was a guy that was scheduled to come in this weekend. We still pretty much expect him to come in this weekend, but he's a guy that can also bump his visit back. He's the uh, 6'4", 235-pound tight end, uh, outside linebacker slash Russian. Again, you're talking about, you know, a lot of hybrid players here, a lot of sort of Russians, outside linebackers, USC's recruiting. Uh, he's committed to Utah and had his visit for the 22nd setup for a while. Uh, but again, a lot of coaching turnover and all these things kind of going on right now. And, it, and USC's trying to get their ducks in a row with some of these kids. And so we'll see if he's able to come in this weekend. Uh, the other guy that was coming in this weekend is Lockie Fatu, who's a, uh, six, a 6'5", 250-pound uh, defensive end from Herman, Utah, and uh, a guy that's also committed to Utah. So you've got two Utah commits possibly coming in this weekend. And he's another sort of Russian, probably a guy that puts on weight and puts his hand on the ground, though. He's probably a legitimate defensive end uh, in a 34 scheme, which that's sort of what we can't anticipate uh, Clancy Pendergast running. Uh, he's going to be one of the more dynamic, underrated athletes that USC will bring in. I mean, he's the guy that uh, plays rugby at, you know, 6'5", 6'6", 250 pounds. And if you watch his rugby highlights, which I encourage you guys to go on the scout and go check out his rugby highlights, they're very impressive, uh, a guy that big and how he moves. Um, but, you know, he's got to get his grades together. Uh, there's some questions about that. That may, again, be a little bit of an issue with the official visit. Uh, it's just kind of coming late down in the season here, and you've got a few kids there that there are some question marks about. And so you've got two weekends left. You've got this 22nd weekend coming up, and then you've got the 30th. And certainly I think USC doesn't want to put everything back on the last weekend. You've already got a few kids coming in that weekend. Uh, the last weekend usually doesn't tend to be the biggest weekend. You usually want to have your ducks in a row uh, before the weekend uh, signing day. Uh, but right now we're seeing if USC is going to be able to do that. All right. Good stuff. Uh, recapping last weekend, of course, coming up another big USC recruiting weekend. Staff mostly in place. And we're going to, we're going to get some questions, Gerard, where we'll talk about the staff a little bit and what kind of impact that has. So why don't we start? with david and he says ryan i'm assuming i'll have gm on for a recruiting podcast soon you're assuming right we're doing one right now uh when you do i have two questions first i'm assuming the absence of uh, absence of some position coaches are an impediment for a successful official visit but how big of a problem is it and secondly with respect to coach tui how likely is his departure to mean that we don't get devin asiasi and boss tagaloa how can uh, families trust a coach who says one week USC is the place for you, and then the following well, following week says UCLA is the place for you? Thanks from David. That's recruiting, and um, I, you know, I think they develop a relationship with these kids, and it's hard to know what exactly they're saying to them. I mean, are they saying, "Hey, USC is the best place for you," 
and then turning around and saying UCLA is the best place for you, I doubt it's that simple. Um, it's definitely going to be something I think that does affect USC with both of those players. I think with Asiasi was definitely a USC lean. I've said several times before, I think USC still has a decent shot at him. I think he wants to go to USC. I think USC's made it harder uh, with with Tui going and certainly being you know some question marks as to you know, what are they going to have at the tight end position in terms of coaching? It sounds like you're going to have John Baxter be the special teams coach and then also the tight ends coach. So you're not having a dedicated tight ends coach. Uh, they obviously didn't end the season very well, losing to Stanford and losing the bowl game. And so those things sort of add up a little bit. Uh, but with Asiasi, I think he really likes USC, really wants to go to USC. It's going to be a question of whether UCLA can just kind of sort of convince him otherwise and put enough doubt in his head that he decides to go with his buddy, Boss Tagaloa. Boss Tagaloa is kind of the opposite of Asiasi. Asiasi was the big USC lean. Boss Tagaloa is really the UCLA lean. Now, Boss Tagaloa also grew up a USC fan, but USC really didn't get involved with his recruitment until much later in the process. They just offered him in December and really weren't recruiting him during the summer and during the fall. So UCLA used all that time to build up a great relationship with him, and now you have the recruiter that was at USC that wanted to offer him earlier, or at least I'm sure that's what he's going to tell Boss Tagaloa, now at UCLA. So that definitely works for their advantage. So you've got a guy there that's his teammate and a guy that, you know, certainly I think they've talked about maybe playing together, uh, kind of pulling Asiasi to UCLA, makes UCLA uh, a much, uh, just in a much better position right now to get both of those players. Uh, I would certainly put, if, if you're going to ask who has the best chance of getting both of them, UCLA by far. If you're talking about, you know, okay, they don't go, and there's a split there, I think, you know, definitely USC's got a better chance at Devin Asiasi. So it will impact them, you know, does Tui going from UCLA or USC to UCLA, and there's got to be some – Tui's a good recruiter. I'm sure he's going to be able to talk his way out of that, and it happens a lot. It just It's one of those things that, you know, coaches move on, they do things, um, and, it, and it's just part of what goes on. I, I don't think it's uh, probably going to be a factor that much. What about the first part where do you think that not having, like, a full staff has impacted official visits? Obviously, with – you know, yes. we talked about Rashawn Gary. Yes. 100%. Um, that, that going back to Lamar Jackson, you know, it's just a matter of communication. The communication wasn't consistent. You've got one guy that's come in and you've built this relationship for, for more than a year. He gets fired. Then you have that kind of overlap a little bit and you have another guy come in and he's saying, oh, hey, you know, we're going to make everything right. We're going to get everything. And all of a sudden he's gone. Um, and you, and you really don't have any full-time people that are actually talking and building this relationship with the player. And so, um, yeah, it definitely does impact uh, n- not just the recruitments, but if you're talking about official visits, when we talked about this last week, when we talked about the war room, USC didn't have a lot of organization going into this weekend with certain kids. They, they didn't have um, everybody that was scheduled to visit actually hit campus because they had a drop-off on communication, I think, for more than anything. Uh, Byron Murphy, the cornerback from Scottsdale, Arizona, cancel this visit now he he's probably going to arizona state anyways but just the fact that he didn't visit kind of shows you there's a little bit of a gap there there's a little bit of a hiccup um lavert hill also canceled his official visit to usc another guy that was recruited by peter sherman and it's not so much wow peter sherman was the greatest recruiter in the world and now he's not there it just was the uh, he was the recruiting coordinator so you've got a guy who understands sort of what the itineraries are and who's coming when and why we have this guy visiting this weekend. All of that stuff goes out the window. Now you've got 
people scrambling behind the scenes and really the support staff is put all on them. Okay, let's make sure that we can get, you know, these people in and we can make sure we get uh, the, the plane tickets and, and we're, we're talking to the right people to get the kid on the plane. I mean, if you've ever been involved with trying to organize a bunch of 17-year-olds, it, it's not easy. And, and, we, you know, with camps and things like that, I've seen behind the scenes how difficult it is sometimes to just get people on a plane. So you've got to talk to the right people. You've got to talk to the mom. And if the mom's not the right person to talk to, you better talk to his coach. And if the coach isn't the right person, then you're going to be talking to the kid. You're going to be talking to whoever it is that's going to get the kid on the plane and get everything straightened out. And then when your recruiting coordinator's not there, it definitely sort of shakes things up a little bit. So it's been an issue. And, it, you know, USC is just now sort of setting things up in terms of getting their staff together. So hopefully next two weeks they're able to get their ducks in a row and they're able to get the guys in visiting that they need to get in visiting. All right, let's uh, move on. Next question is from Paul Central in Central Virginia, all the way across the country. He says, Ryan Gerard, all the news on the recruiting seems to be positive. However, with the commitments we already have, we only have six scholarships left. The quality of the potential recruits is outstanding. If the trend turns good when the commit date arrives, I think he's talking about signing day, how would we fit them all in? And how do you see the final 2016 recruiting class coming out? Again, that's Paul in Central Virginia. Yeah, I would not worry too much about that. I think that um, USC right now is just going to kind of scramble to make sure that they can get the guys they can get, um, the guys that they felt comfortable with. Uh, it's not going to be one of those deals where I think they're just going to be putting out a bunch of offers late to four-star or five-star guys and all of a sudden getting some surprise visitor at the end of the year and being able to land that guy. And that's really when you start to question, okay, we don't have enough room here. That's when it becomes a little bit of an issue of, okay, maybe we need a blue shirt somewhere somewhere around here because we've got this other guy coming in that we really like that we're going to be able to land. At this point, I think they're trying to replace guys that they were trying to persuade the guys that were on the fence about visiting, guys that maybe, like USC, were going to take a visit, but it was going to be difficult to be able to kind of just switch them up. You know, Byron Murphy, again, bringing up a name uh, of a guy that, you know, if everything was right, everything was working well, and it was, it was a seamless transition from Steve Sarkeesian's staff to Clay Helton's staff, and let's just be honest, it hasn't been. I mean, we've, we've seen – it's taken this long to, to hire your last uh, assistant coach. So um, it's taken a long time, and, and you've got, you know, a bunch of administrative assistants on the road, which I don't know if a school has sent this many administrative assistants out on the road before. Um, it's kind of different. You know, we've seen uh, Pat Hayden in, in prior years go out on the road and do in-home visits, uh, but never this amount of, you know, administrative assistants. You've got three or four guys out there on the road right now for USC, uh, or at least, you know, over the past two months. Uh, recruiting for USC instead of actually full-time staff. Um, so all that stuff sort of becomes a little bit of an issue. Um, I think that uh, it's definitely, like I said, sort of impacted where they are. And so at this point, you're really just trying to get your ducks in a row with the guys that you feel good about. Guys like Jack Jones, the five-star athlete from Long Beach uh, Poly. Um, a guy like Devin Osiasi, you want to be able to pull him back in, make sure you solidify that. Um, that's a guy that USC had a good lead for. Now it's slipping a little bit. Uh, but, you know, like I said, I think they can still get him. I think they still have a decent shot at him. Um, you do have a guy that, like I said, maybe there is, you know, sort of a left field type, you know, signing with a guy like Kazir White. That's a possibility. You know, that's a guy that USC is a quality player that they really weren't recruiting for a long time and they just offered before New Year's. And, and you have a good possibility of maybe getting him. So, I mean, there is some positive, 
you know, surprises or sort of kind of left field recruiting coming in. Um, but it's not one of those things where the class is stacked and you've got Adoree Jackson, you've got Damian Mama, and you've got Juju Smith, and you've got these guys, and then you've got, you know, uh, other players there, too, that want to visit from out of state, and you're kind of going, oh, wow, you know, how are we going to fit all these guys in? That's not really happening right now. I think USC is going to be okay with that. I don't think there's any any fear of not being able to get in the guys that they want to get in. Uh, it's really a matter of closing with the players that they feel confident with and, and making sure they sort of, you know, dot their I's and cross their T's. This recruiting class is going to be obviously a step back from past recruiting classes the past two years. I mean, obviously last year they had the number one recruiting class nationally and so you're not going to quite have that level of recruiting class and even I think the year before with Adoree Jackson and Juju Smith and that great recruiting class this is going to be a little bit of a step back people keep asking me how do you see the class filling out no we don't really know it's I don't have crystal ball it's hard to say you know oh here's going to be exactly who's coming in and who's who's you know going to get offered even if somebody else doesn't fill out you know if they're not able to get another quarterback well then there's going to be a late offer to somebody and it's probably going to be a guy that's not going to be a four-star guy uh, or a five-star guy it's probably going to be a three-star guy so um there's going to be a little bit of a step down uh and then we're going to have to see what clay helton's able to do with his coaching staff coaching you know if they're able to win games that's the biggest recruiter for usc if they're able to develop the talent that they have on the roster right now and show people this was a good hire um, Clay Helton has a great plan. He's a great philosophy. He's able to prove that on the football field. Then you get back on the recruiting trail, and then you start to be able to have a, a, a situation where you get into January, and all of a sudden you've got kids going, hey, man, I want to visit USC. There's something going on at USC there. That program's on the rise. And then you start to come to those questions of can we get everybody in? You know, can we get 20? Do we have, you know, 25 guys? that want to come in and we think we can get 25 quality commits and we only have 20 rides, then that becomes a little bit of an issue. Right now, I don't think that's a problem for USC. All right, uh, let's move on. we got Taylor uh, in Tennessee. That's where my wife's from, Taylor. Um, what are the recruits saying about the new coaches, Bradford, Callaway, and Tyson Helton? And you could probably add uh, um, Tommy Robinson, too, if you want to that, Gerard. Coming off the first uh, recruiting weekend in January – and who handled the weekend itinerary with Peter Sermon in Starkville? Thanks and fight on from Taylor. I think the administrative and supportive staff really took the brunt of trying to organize this weekend's visit. And really, again, and I've said this several times, you really got to give those guys a lot of credit for going above and beyond. I mean, they're being called to do things from a recruiting standpoint this offseason that they don't normally do. So, I mean, you've got Scott Thompson, you've got Gavin Morris, you've got Drew Pearson, you've got Kenny Hudson, you've got even, you know, Kenichi Odizi, who now we think is going to be a full-time defensive line coach, but at that moment was really a strength and conditioning guy. These guys are going out on the road and they're recruiting, they're having to organize, they're having to make phone calls. Uh, it's just crazy, you know, that uh, they've had to shoulder as much uh, of the responsibility for the recruiting process and the itineraries. And I know it sounds easy, you know, just getting a kid on a plane and, and hosting them on campus for a little bit and then send them off, but there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of organization and management that goes into these recruiting visits, and the administrative staff just deserves a lot of credit for a lot that's gone on. Um, now, in terms of the opinions and the comments that we've gathered about the new coaching staff, there haven't been a ton of them. Uh, Frank Martin was a guy that, uh, you know, obviously tackled and committed to USC for a long time. Uh, he canceled any more visits, basically shut down the recruiting process after his official visit to USC this past weekend. He met Neil Calloway. And certainly, you know, having been a long-time commit and a huge SC fan, 
it's not one of those recruitments where Neil Callaway had to close the deal or had to turn the recruitment and, and try to make up ground. Uh, so it's hard to say, you know, what kind of recruiter he is based just on that. Um, but certainly it's good news that Frank Martin didn't leave the visit and decide, hey, you know, I need to take a bunch of other visits because I'm not sure about USC. That would obviously raise some red flags a little bit about Neil Callaway. So that didn't happen. Uh, basically his comments about Neil Callaway were that he's a tough, hard-nosed, uh, stern coach, um, definitely a guy that's going to make him a better player and going to push him. Um, and certainly, you know, I think personality-wise, that's what Clay Helton wants to see out of his offensive line. That's what he wants to see out of his offense, some physical uh, mentality and some aggressiveness. And that's what Neil Calloway brings to the table. Um, some of the other commits had talked a little bit about Tyson Helton. Uh, there was some really positive comments about him just personality-wise. Probably the most important commit that was on campus last weekend was Kerry Angeline, a 6'7", 240-pound tight end from Exton, Pennsylvania, Downton East High School, uh, a guy that comes in at a position where USC just needs some talented bodies. You know, they really just sort of have some guys there, and they need some playmakers. They need some guys that are go-to guys, and Kerry Angeline might be that player. And so he's a guy that talked a little bit about Tyson Helton and John Baxter, and that's going to kind of sort of be – the guys that are, are probably most involved with his position because it doesn't look like USC is going to have a sole tight end uh, position coach. It's going to be Baxter sort of doing it. And Tyson Helton has also coached tight ends. He coached tight ends uh, actually at, uh, at Western Kentucky. So those guys were both involved in his official visit. They sat down. They watched film and uh, said some very positive things. And another guy that kind of solidified his recruitment and his commitment to USC and another positive uh, in that direction. Um, so, you know, we've seen some good things with the defensive coaches, obviously with Kenichio Dizzi, wasn't a full-time guy at that point, really wasn't a lot talked about uh, from Rashad Gary's standpoint when it came to Kenichio Dizzi. Um, Clancy Pendergast just got on campus Friday, didn't spend a whole lot of time with the recruits, um, and, and Ronnie Bradford really didn't really get a lot uh, from any of the guys about him either. These guys are literally – just getting into campus and on town this weekend. Uh, so I think it's one of those things that this, this next weekend we might hear a little more. Uh, the Ducks might be a little more in the row. Um, certainly, you know, Jordan Isefa, the committed linebacker from Honolulu, Hawaii, St. Louis High School, he did say some very, very good things about Johnny Nansen as a linebacker coach. He kind of confirmed uh, the news that we broke about Johnny Nansen being the linebacker coach and, and talked really ravingly about him just because he's played the position uh, he's a guy that has a lot of experience on the defensive side of the ball. And a lot of USC fans are very skeptical of Donnie Nansen just with him coming from uh, Washington with Sark and being a guy that kind of jumped around on the coaching staff. But there's a lot of value in that versatility. And you look at a lot of the better defensive coordinators and offensive coordinators uh, that have come through football, and you look at their resumes and you always see guys that they played multiple or they coached multiple positions. You know, the guys that have been on the offense and on the defense. Um, guys like, uh, you know, Gary Patterson that, you know, have jumped back and forth and done some different things and seen some different things and coached in some different positions. And, and it really gives you just a different perspective on football. And so a guy like Johnny Nancy, you know, people kind of make fun of, oh, well, you know what, he's kind of a disposable guy. And, you know, they just throw him around anywhere. And, you know, he's not really that good a coach because, you know, they just, well, they had him a D line and then they flip him over to running backs. It's like wherever there's a spot, they just kind of plug him in there. But truth be told, there's a lot of value in that. And he could end up being a very good coach for USC because of that. And obviously his, his ties uh, to the Polynesian players and Jordan Isefa being one of those guys uh, is definitely going to uh, pay dividends for USC down the line. One of the guys you mentioned in there, Gerard, was um, Neil Calloway. And uh, our buddy Klain wrote in and he said, Ryan and Gerard, how does the addition of Neil Calloway affect our recruiting in the Southeast? 
any immediate benefits? No, no immediate benefits. Um, obviously, USC is still involved with EJ Price, um, and you know they're going to recruit him. That seems a bit of a long shot at this point. Um, not, not, not the greatest of long shots. Uh, I would say probably. I would probably say Rashawn Gary would be a little more of a long shot even than EJ Price right now, just because of EJ Price's living situation. And uh, we talked a little bit about you know his parents, his family, and not really uh, being with them. He's kind of living with his coaches, so it's a little different situation from situation uh, in terms of his home life. And, and sometimes a kid can leave home with that, uh, but we do expect him to stay in the Southeast. That's the expectation. Um, and I just don't think Neil Callaway is going to be a big impact in his recruitment. And again, you know, that's a, sort of a projection. It's hard to know. Uh, we haven't talked to Neil Callaway. We don't really know a lot about Neil Callaway in terms of, uh, you know, that person to person sort of conversation, him on the football field. All you can do is watch him on YouTube and, and see interviews with him. And that's kind of hard. That's kind of hard to be able to really kind of get a tune into, okay, yeah, this guy's going to be a good recruiter. Or this guy's, yeah, he's going to really fit. Um, I think, you know, in terms of fit, that's the biggest question about Neil Calloway. He's a longtime SEC coach, uh, head coach at UAB. He's been around that area a lot. But, you know, the West Coast, never been a West Coast guy. And so that's going to be the question in terms of his personality, how it fits with the players that USC tends to recruit. E.J. Price is a guy from Georgia. He's a Southern recruit. But, again, this is late in the process, so he don't necessarily anticipate he's going to have this huge bearing and be able to turn him. Certainly our opinion of him as a recruiter would go right up because if he was able to get a guy like E.J. Price here late in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the recruiting process, but I wouldn't anticipate it. And I wouldn't anticipate USC going out and getting any other, you know, big offensive line guys this late in the process. We're really going to have to wait for the next cycle uh, to see what type of recruiter um, Neil Calloway is. And certainly reputation-wise, we haven't heard a whole lot about him being this you know, overly dynamic recruiter either. So it's really wait and see uh, how he fits at USC and then with this next class, how he's able to bring in guys. And it's really more about his philosophy and his fit. We knew Tim Drevno was going to be a pretty good recruiter and a pretty good coach talking with him and and seeing his philosophy and, and seeing how he had a plan for everything. He was very much a guy that had a belief system and talked it. And and you could just tell, okay, this guy's, you know, he's he's a little more than just an offensive line coach that's just going to sit there and and you know tell guys, hey, this is technique and do this and do that. He wasn't shooting from the hip. He had a blueprint for what he saw was going to be success. So we'll see if Neil Callaway is that type of coach that has a belief system that really resonates with players. You can tell when you start talking to people one on one, but we're not going to be able to do that until we get into spring ball. All right. Uh, good stuff there from Klain. Uh, let's go to Jarrett. He says, first of all, shout out to the men's basketball team for the start they've had and for spanking UCLA. Uh, my question for you and Gerard is a football question. I look at the basketball court as a great place to recruit football players. I see a 6'8 tweener center slash power forward as an incredible left tackle or a monstrous defensive tackle. There are numerous amounts of athletic guards and small forwards that can fit in to a skill position. Has USC looked that way before? Do other schools pursue basketball players? That's from Jarrett. Well, that's almost a question you could answer. I, I could say, I mean, obviously, as Jordan Cameron has um, uh, been a guy that, you know, came in from the basketball court sort of and played football, although football was always a part of his life. 
Um, Zach Banner was a basketball player, but has never really played basketball for USC, really been football. It's more of like a basketball player feeling that they can handle the physicality of football and that being a better avenue for them than basketball. I think they would more rather play basketball if they're good at basketball yeah. than go over to the football field and try to do both. The physicality and the amount of sacrifice and time it takes to be a good football player is just so much that it's really hard to do both. And USC's football staff is certainly not going to go in to the Galen Center and start plucking guys off the basketball team and saying, hey, you can come play football. That's just not the way it works. So it, it's not something that happens very often. And really, like I said, I, I don't think we're going to see too many guys that are really ultimately successful at either um, doing both. Yeah, I agree. I think for the most part, if you're going to just late in your athletic career as a recruit or whatever, and you're like, oh, this guy should try to play football. Typically, we see that if it's an international player, you know, like they're coming from Nigeria or something, they start late. Um, and they, I mean, the main examples that I could cite in football are tight ends and basketball players that like Antonio Gates has had a long NFL career. And I think he only played two years of college um, football, you know, so he was kind of like a basketball player they converted to football later. And I think the same thing with uh, Tony Gonzalez. I think he played a lot, you know, at Cal, um, played a lot of basketball and then kind of switched over to football. I mean, that's where it seemed, and we, you know, Jordan Cameron, someone that Gerard mentioned he's playing in the NFL now and was an all pro at one point. So, I mean, that, I think the tight end, that's a common aspect where we see that, but it's just like Gerard said, I mean, it's just hard to, you know, break into, to football. I, we've seen it with tight ends. It's just, I think it's harder in other positions. Usually you're either going that direction uh, or you're not. So trying to recruit some diamond in the rough. And, you know, at USC, you're getting guys that have played football a lot, mostly. Maybe, you know, maybe you see that at other, you know, if you're a Division two or an FCS school or something and you, you can, you know, you're trying to find this diamond in the rough and here's a basketball player you think could really project. Um, I think a lot of times when you're recruiting a football player and they do play basketball, that's a bonus. Um, sometimes offensive linemen, you see them, they throw a shot put or a discus. You look at their footwork and what they do on the track in those field events. Um, that could be a positive, but as far as like taking, plucking one of those guys out really late in the process at a place like USC, I, I just don't remember that happening a whole lot, Gerard, or it really working all that much. Yeah. And track is, you know, you're talking about field events is a little more specialized. And it's just not as rigorous. And I mean, basketball, how many basketball games do you play in a week? I mean, it just, you know, it, it's, it's a constant thing. You just, it's tough. And you're talking about, you know, 300 pounders and left tackles and all that stuff. That, that never happens. If you're talking about 300 pounder on the basketball court, that guy's seven one most of the time. He's not six seven or six eight like Zach Banner. Zach Banner would be, you know, a power forward in basketball at 360 pounds. That, that just doesn't happen. If that, if that, if that, Zach Banner came out in the basketball court and right now. He would look so out of place. Like I, th- I don't think people sometimes really realize how big some of these football players are. I mean, it, it's you got some massive human beings. It's almost like just another <laughs> species of human beings that come walking out of the tunnel, and you're like, man, these guys are so huge. And if you put that on the basketball court with these guys that are, I mean, you're talking about 200 pounds, six, seven guys. <laughs> it's like 200 pounds, 200 pounds. USC doesn't even have receivers that are 200 pounds. These guys are over 200 pounds. So yeah, it's a, it's a, just a different sport. Very difficult to do. I think, you know, the, the point of the question is, and it, and we hear it all the time. 
where can USC get more players? You know, there's just a way they could get more players from somewhere. They could beat the system. They could sneak in some guys and actually have 98 guys on scholarship that are really scholarship-level players as opposed to the 85, et cetera, et cetera. And certainly we went through that with sanctions a lot where, you know, they had the 75, and gosh, every every week, every other day we would get questions about, well, can they get this guy in and can they maybe have a guy go over to track for a year and then walk on and then go work at Starbucks and then come back to the team and then he could get a scholarship and then it wouldn't count? We got those a lot. And, uh, yeah, the answer was usually, what, Gerard? No. 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 <laughs> and it's still no in most situations. <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on. We got Paul in Vegas. He says, we all know the value of Polynesian players on the squad. Gerard, what's the best way to ensure we get a good look from this group of prospects? The Oosh Bros, the Oosh Crew. Yeah, I think uh, the best way is to obviously have connections um, in the, the culture and the areas that you want to recruit Polynesian players. Uh, it's really like any other segment of players. You want to recruit the South. You want to recruit the Northeast. Um, you gotta have people that know the area. You gotta have people who have seen and know the right people to talk to. Um, because you can buy into the hype. You know, there's a lot of, you know, players that get hyped up in, in every segment, uh, of, of a talent pool and you go in and you start recruiting those guys because of hearsay and this, that and the other, but you really don't know who's who unless you've got people on the ground that really understand and have seen these kids, you know, for multiple years, multiple seasons, it's an efficiency of recruiting more than anything. And then that's the evaluation part of it. You know, that's the important, important evaluation part of it, being able to go in and talk to the right people to know who to recruit. But then you have the recruiting sales part of it and the ability to relate. And certainly with the Polynesian culture, uh, it's much more closed off. And I think there's, there's, you, you, you've got to be able to sit down and be able to relate with families, and there has to be a trust level there. And certainly if you have Polynesian coaches, you have coaches of Samoan descent or Tongan descent, they're able to go into those houses, they're able to go into those high schools, and they're able to relate, and they're able to build a bond and a relationship there built on trust. And so that's the biggest thing. So you're talking about having Polynesian coaches on the staff, um, you know, people, not just on the full-time coaching staff, but people within the program just in general, uh, that, you know, when, when these families come in on official visits or unofficial visits, that they know that there's people there like them that understand them, that have been where they've been, uh, and there's a relationship and a bond that's built there in trust. So that's really the most important thing. And, again, that kind of goes back to talking about Johnny Nansen. Obviously, USC, they lose two other coaches with very good uh, Polynesian ties, um, Tui Asasopo is an obvious one, but, you know, Steve Sarkeesian played in Utah, and he had a lot of good uh, relationships with a lot of Polynesian coaches and, and a lot of uh, football players that are in the Polynesian community as well. So USC definitely takes a step back uh, from that, and, and it's going to be more on Johnny Nansen, and we're going to be able to see if he's able to shoulder the load and be able to continue to get good Polynesian players in at USC. They've, they've offered a few guys, like I said, uh, Luaki, uh, Sumisi Luaki, is a guy that they're trying to bring in that's committed to Utah. Uh, Lakey Fatu is another guy committed to Utah that they're trying to bring in. Um, you've got Devin Asiasi, Boss Tagaloa. So there's definitely some guys out there that USC wants and they're recruiting and it's, you know, going to be a lot on Johnny Nansen being able to kind of uh, bring those guys in, 
uh, show them that uh, you know that there's there's a comfort level there at USC. That USC is a great tradition with Polynesian players. That Polynesian players can be successful at USC. And, and then kind of handing it over to Clay Helton and Clay Helton being able to be that guy that you know obviously as opposed to Steve Sarkeesian who you know played at BYU. Uh, Clay Helton's coming from Houston. Uh, he's more of a Southern guy with a Texas twang. He's got to be able to make those. Uh, those families feel comfortable and those kids feel comfortable and feel like, you know, I can trust this guy. I think this guy uh, is, is going to have my best interest at heart, and this is going to be somewhere where I'm going to be comfortable. I'm going to enjoy playing, and my family uh, can, can, can relate to all of that and feel comfortable with it as well. Because you can't sign Polynesian players without really signing the family. Family is huge in the Samoan and Tongan cultures. Uh, you have to be able to recruit the whole family and, and, and really have that trust level there. So that's that's the most important thing. And, again, we're going to see if USC is going to be able to continue to do what they've done in the past here uh, with those with those players, um, not having the same amount of influence on the coaching staff as they once did. All right. We still got, like, six more questions, Gerard. I might have to rapid fire it up a little bit since we're at the 45-minute mark. You cool with that? I thought it rapid fired pretty good at the opening with the visits and everything like that. You so, did. Okay, you... we might have to take. We have, we might have to go from, you know, a Porsche to a McLaren here. So let's let's go. Let's turn <laughs> okay. it up. I'll give you a quick one. I know this will be rapid fire. What are the chances we could steal away the number one player in the country to come to USC? That's from Keone. Not great. I would say twenty five, thirty percent. If you want to put a percentage on it, um, I think certainly USC has a chance, a puncher's chance. You got the kid here on his official visit. He came with his mom. His mom loved Los Angeles. She really likes USC because she values the education, and he's from a big city. I mean, I think that's something that you definitely have to keep in mind. He's coming out here from New Jersey. He's not a southern kid coming from the sticks that's not going to be able to relate and feel comfortable in Los Angeles. So there's definitely some factors working towards USC, but at the same time, You've got other schools there that have a very long relationship with him, schools that are closer to where his mom lives now. And that's one of the things with USC. When it comes to the possibility of a family moving and to going to be closer to their son at a college, Los Angeles is probably pretty low on the list. Not because people don't want to live in Los Angeles. Everybody wants to live in Los Angeles. I mean, that's, you know, that's an obvious thing. That's why you have a hundred million people that live here. Um, and more every day coming in and living in Los Angeles and all of them getting on the 405 at the same time. But anyways, I digress. Uh, you know, they, they love to live in Los Angeles, but the price of living here in Southern California is astronomical. Now, certainly it's not cheap to live in New Jersey, but I think it's definitely not going to be the same and, and being able to move uh, out to Los Angeles as opposed to, you know, a family that may live out here moving to the south or moving to Texas or, you know, even moving to the east coast. Um, it's a lot more, it's a lot easier. If you can find a job, it's a lot easier in terms of the cost of living. Um, so I think the dynamic of the distance factor is a big deal. The dynamic of him having his former high school coach at Michigan is a big deal. The dynamic that there's not a lot of stability at USC. I mean, I know they hired Clay Helton and, you know, he got his five years guaranteed, yada, 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 and the administration looks at it. As, uh, as kind of solidifying uh, the, the coaches that were there and kind of continuing to build from that point on. But at the end of the day, Clay Helton has to prove that he can win at USC. He has to prove that he can do more than win uh, against UCLA. Uh, he has to prove that he can able to win a, a Pac-12 championship, that he can win bowl games, um, that USC can win, you know, like I said, 10 or 11 games. I think if you're talking about 
USC in a, in a year where they win 10 or 11 games and we rewind all the way back to when Steve Sarkeesian got in trouble and we pretend that doesn't happen. Steve Sarkeesian, no drinking issues, uh, no substance abuse issues. Uh, USC has the season that a lot of people expected them to win 10, 11 games, and all of a sudden you've got USC on the uprise. They win their bowl game. Then you start to look at a guy like Rashawn Gary and say, okay, eh, maybe you're closer to 50-50. You're still battling Michigan, but it's closer to 50-50. But right now, I don't think USC is in that place as a football program to be able to go outside of the state of California and land that level of player. All right. Okay. Not quite as rapid fire as I thought we were going to do, but that's cool. That was a good one. Um, it's good, you know, good concise answer there. Let's go to Steve. He says, I was looking at the scholarship chart, uh, at uscfootball.com. He says, thank you for that. I do actually need to update that. That's on my to-do list. So I'll make sure. Um, but it should have the numbers and stuff correctly. We're going to get rid of all the seniors and stuff and move people on. There's uh, probably a couple extra commits we need to put in there. Rapid fire. Rapid fire. But he says, but it looks like, uh, that there's going to be 65 scholarship players left after this year, including Sua Craven's early departure. If the scholarship limit is 85, that leaves only 20 scholarships possible. Is that estimate correct? I keep hearing the team only has 20 scholarships to offer since they offered several blue ship, blue shirt scholarships last year, but that's not really the issue, right? Since they could just offer the additional blue shirt scholarships this year to get the numbers up to 85 total and some. Is the 85 constraint on the total scholarships going to be binding, a uh, binding constraint this year? Thanks from Steve and Soggy Poway. Well, I can give you my rapid fire answer. Yes. The 85 overall scholarship number is really the biggest number. There's finagling from class to class, early enrollees, blue shirts, gray shirts. But at the end of the day, if you're at 85, you're at 85 and that's the number. Yeah, and I think that's I think it's about right. I need to go back and, and I'll double check it, Steve. But uh yeah, I think that the twenty ish was gonna be about where it was anyway. Now the problem is that you could there could be some guys that aren't gonna be on the team anymore. So if USC was able to sign twenty five, I think, you know, they would probably be signing more than twenty, uh, but maybe not all the way to twenty five is my guess. Let's go to Tarion uh in Las Vegas. He says, Gerard, since we're in the season of important official visits. I have two questions on the subject. Firstly, would you give an example of an average day-to-day itinerary? Secondly, within this itinerary, do you know how much the Trojan family, quote-unquote Trojan family benefits, are presented? Thanks so much for your hard work. Tarion here in Las Vegas. I think Tarion asked me this question before. Um, the whole itinerary is, is really they get on campus, uh, they meet the coaches. Um, usually it's it's you know, early afternoon, by the time kids get here, it depends on whether they're coming from the East Coast or the West Coast, obviously. Um, but they get to campus, uh, they meet the coaches, uh, they usually have a meal uh, right away. Um, that night, they'll go out. Sometimes they'll take them to a basketball game. Sometimes they'll just take them out to dinner, um, take them out to Hollywood. Uh, the next morning is usually when they have the academic uh, tour and they start meeting the position coaches. They go through uh, various uh, team meetings and, and things of that nature. Sometimes if it's during the season, you actually get to go through an actual team meeting. But if it's an off-season, which most recruiting visits happen for USC in the off-season, uh, they're sort of a, a set up, you know, with the recruits that are in there to have these team meetings and they'll watch tape of their positions and the coaches will sort of break down how they, you know, want them to uh, to be able to kind of use them and, and how they fit into the team. Um, and then the next morning before they leave, they have breakfast, usually at the Strand. Uh, that's kind of been their place the last few years. And they'll meet with Coach Helton afterwards. Right before they leave, 
and kind of get that last, hey, you know, where do we sit? You know, are you staying committed here? Do you want to commit here? Kind of where do you, you know, see yourself going? And uh, and then they go from there. So uh, the itinerary doesn't really change a whole lot. Somewhere in between there, they usually take them to the Coliseum and they'll have dinner. Um, usually it's that Saturday night. And, you know, obviously the Coliseum, there's nobody there. And they'll have dinner and then they'll have, you know, the whole thing with the torch and all that kind of stuff too, which usually is a highlight for a lot of the kids coming through the tunnel. Um, but uh, it's, it's, it hasn't changed a whole lot through the years. You know, they've taken them to different restaurants. And, you know, sometimes they'll go one place over another, uh, the standard or something like that. But uh, in general, it, it's, it's pretty much the same thing. The uh, one one thing to add on the Coliseum aspect of it, there is a recruiting lounge like at the where the peristyle end of the Coliseum, and they'll go through that, and there's all kinds of memorabilia and and championships and Heisman's, you know, this all the kind of uh, accolades for USC players, and all the you know one wall is all USC players in the NFL, and they'll you know walk down the the stairs, they'll go to the locker room, they'll have like a video playing in the locker room. And I believe the dinners right now, they're having them in those Audi suites that are kind of blocking the view of the peristyle. So, yeah, it's all, all part of it and usually the kind of same thing there. But, yeah, I think a lot of Trojan family, a lot of talking about, you know, what what former players have done and what you could possibly do. So thanks for that, Terry. And let's, uh, let's go. We have, hey, Ryan, it's me, Lynn, again from Samoa on your next podcast. I know Clay has mentioned numerous times that he wants to go back to old-style USC by winning with the trenches in the line of scrimmage and running the ball. But most of our recruits are wideouts. Why are we not going after some big bodies already on both sides of the ball? Heck, we have plenty of them here in Samoa that can move mountains. Just saying, thanks for the good job and fight on uh, from Lynn. Well, there you go. There's Johnny Nancy. Uh, Johnny Nancy goes to Samoa every summer, and they actually have a camp out there, uh, Troy Palmalu runs. And so he goes out there. I mean, Johnny, I, I would say this, you know, I think Johnny is very much in tune with what's going on in the islands, uh, probably even more than, than Marcus Tuas and so forth, some of the other um, Polynesian recruiters that are out there. you got a lot of guys that, um, you know, they have uh, Polynesian roots and, and background. And Johnny Nansen, the name doesn't seem like it. You would think Johnny Nansen's a very Americanized <laughs> guy, but Johnny has very much got a lot of connections to uh, the islands. And, um, and, and got a great reputation there with a lot of people. And so he, he, he knows about those players. And like I said before, they have offered uh, quite a few, um, Samoan players and Polynesian players, uh, here in the last, uh, you know, few weeks, couple months. Um, and they're guys that are going to probably bulk up and get bigger. You know, Samisi, uh, Luaki, there's a guy that, you know, is about 235, 240 pounds now. You know, maybe he ends up being 280 pounds and ends up being the defensive lineman. Um, certainly with Lakey Fatu, that's a guy that's going to probably gain weight and be a guy that puts his hand on the ground. So for the defensive side of the ball, they've definitely upped the amount of offers and the interest that they have in recruiting more defensive linemen. They want more defensive linemen, probably five, six guys uh, on the defensive line. And certainly when you're talking about that hybrid defense, that 34, 52, however you want to call it, whatever Clancy, uh, Clancy Pendergast wants to run, um, you're going to have guys that are maybe defensive ends in a, in a system that would be a 4-3 that in this system are called linebackers. Maybe a guy uh, like Oluwalu Betiku, who's, you know, 240, 45 pounds, 6-3, you know, that's, that's a defensive end. That's a guy that in, in another system would put his hand on the ground. So you wouldn't necessarily say, oh, well, he's a linebacker, he's a skilled player. He's really more of a defensive end. But in the system, he may stand up a little bit. So you have to count him towards the defensive line numbers as well. Offensive line, now that's a different story. USC's taking two guys. I think they'd like to maybe take a third, but 
as I've said several times already, if they take a third, it's going to be because it's the best player available. They come down the end of the year, um, you know, it's a, it's a few days for signing day, and it's, you know, okay, we've got these guys, we've got, you know, we could take another defensive back, or we could take this uh, this uh, lineman. Well, the lineman's better. The lineman's the guy that's going to be a better player. That's where we're going to take. And so there could be a third de- uh, offensive lineman that's taken in this class, uh, but the amount of offers out there right now, it, there's just not a lot of guys that they've offered, and there's not a lot of options out there. Um, certainly we talked about E.J. Price. Cole Cabral is a guy that's committed to Arizona State right now, sort of an offensive tackle, maybe could be a guard, 6'5", about 265 pounds, um, could even maybe play center in college, but he is committed to Arizona State, so at some point you got to bring him an unofficial visit to be able to get him. So, you know, these guys, there's just not a lot of names that are out there to choose from on the offensive line, so I don't think USC is going to go after a ton of offensive linemen. You know, uh, Paul, the kind of follow up to that, Paul in Vegas, I'm going to summarize because it's kind of a long email, but he liked what your answer was on the last show when you talked about if you recruit an offensive lineman, it doesn't work out. There's really no place for him to go. Like a defensive lineman, he, it doesn't work out there. He can move the offensive line. Um, so he was like, yeah, that's, that's a really good point. It's hard. You can shift other position players around. It's hard to shift usually an offensive lineman that doesn't work out. There's really no place for them to go. Uh, so his idea was, why don't you bring in, uh, more offensive linemen out of high school, uh, they can redshirt and then the, you know, the best guys play and then the other guys have them graduate. So his, his idea is to grab them, graduate in three years and then transfer somewhere else and develop it and go to a lesser program. So that was his kind of theory. He says, the question is, does a redshirt junior that's going to graduate with two years of eligibility have both years left at a different program? The answer to that is yes. And he said, um, this would open up those spots for guys that just don't develop enough. It gives us an opportunity to work developing more offensive linemen coming out of high school. That's Paul in Vegas. Get your thoughts on that, Gerard. That's not a bad point. That's not a bad way to look at it and, and something that I think um, is a possibility. I mean, certainly there's still maybe dead weight there for some, you know, for some point in time. And, and what we see sometimes with some schools that we'll actually see with offensive linemen, a lot of medical retirement uh, from guys that just sort of don't pan out. We, we've seen that quite a bit. Um, I think with the offensive line, the one thing I will say, and I had this conversation actually with a college coach just uh, not too long ago, and it was going back to sort of the philosophy of, of Pete Carroll not having dead weight on the roster with guards, you know, bringing in a bunch of guards and then guys not panning out. And it's like, what do you do with them? They're the guards. You can't move them to another position. Um, I will say that there's a value in having guys on the scout team and that are offensive linemen. Um, the scout team, I, 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 when you're out of school like USC, you're out of school like Florida, uh, you're out of school where you can get a mass of great skill players and playmakers, it is sometimes tempting to over-recruit that position. And you have to be disciplined as a coaching staff and realize, you know what, we need to bring in, it's a whole, and I'm going to go, I don't know if people are going to roll their eyes maybe at this, it's a whole brick and mortar thing. And I've said this before, sort of this philosophy I have of, if you want to have a strong wall and it's a brick wall, your, your, your instinct is to go and put a bunch of bricks together. But well, that's what I'm looking at. That's what I want to see. I want to see these beautiful bricks. I'm spending all my time on these bricks and how they look and how red they are and all the color and the, the shape. But the truth of the matter is what makes the, the wall strong is not just the bricks. It's the mortar. It's the rebar. It's the stuff that you really don't look at, that you really don't want to see, that you really don't think about. But that's bringing everything together. That's the glue that holds it all together that makes it strong. Otherwise, you can pile all those bricks up together, and you can push it over very easily. And so 
you can bring in guys on the offensive line that maybe they're not guys that end up contributing a whole lot on Saturdays, but shoot, if you can bring in two or three offensive linemen that are guards or centers and they can just practice and they can just take reps so your guys that are your starters aren't taking an overabundance of reps during practice, and there is a, a line there between too many reps and these guys smashing each other in practice, the physical practices, which everybody wants to see again at USC, and recruiting just guys that are not going to do anything as dead weight and you can't get more skill players. Because let's, let's face it, you know, you can go grab a bunch of skill players and maybe the guy doesn't work out and move him to another position. doesn't mean that guy's going to be great in another position either. So I think there's a balance there. And I think that thought of, well, you can bring some guys into high school and develop them and, and get them, you know, going through and the system and, and graduating early. And if they're not going to be guys that contribute, well, they can transfer. And then that opens up another scholarship. That's, that's a possibility. Obviously, you have to recruit the right off to Lyman, you can't bring in some knuckleheads that aren't going to be able to get out of school in three years. So that's a little bit of a, uh, a challenge there to make sure you're getting the right guys. But I don't disagree with recruiting more off of linemen. I think that's the, the point I'm making is that I don't necessarily agree with Pete Carroll, and I know that's going to be a little bit of a blasphemy, but I don't necessarily agree with that conversation. Yeah, we, we, we really need to recruit the skill players. Those are the guys who are scoring touchdowns. If we recruit too many guards, if we recruit too many centers, those guys are just going to be there on the roster and they're not going to do anything for us if they just they end up being bust. I, I think a bust is a guy that can't even practice. I think there's some value in basically having some guys that are practice players. And I, and I learned that, and I know this is not rapid fire, but I know <laughs> I, I learned that in 2011 when Lane Kiffin went out and just started offering just a slew of guys, Dallas Kelly, um, David Garness. Uh, just guys that were guys that never played and never really did anything. But that 2011 season, USC ended up winning 10, 11 games. They ended up being good that year because why? They were close to 85, and they actually had a legitimate scout team that they could roll out there and could play against Division One guys and challenge them a little bit. And so that's the thing that I've just, you know, those glue guys, those mortar guys, those rebarb guys, there's value in them. And I think it gets overlooked at programs where you've got so much ability to go out there and get all those talented playmakers um, that sometimes you lose those guys and uh, then you end up with USC and, you know, you're playing your third center and, uh, you know, the guy's playing with a two bum ankles and two bum shoulders. Um, and certainly at least USC had three centers. And I think in Pete Carroll's years, they would have been shifting the guy over there that's probably never played center because they really under-recruited linemen uh, back in those days. All right, we've got one last one for you. It's from Lloyd. He was wondering, uh, how do you rate the new staff as recruiters? When Pendergast was here last time, I read he wasn't much of, uh, of a recruiter. He didn't get, get into that part of the job. I also read where Tommy Robinson at Texas didn't do a whole lot of recruiting. What kind of recruiters do they have? That's from Lloyd. We can't rate them. Again, that's kind of like going back to Neil Calloway and, and how these, these coaches are going to be recruiters when they're literally coming in uh, with about two weeks ago in the process. You can't, we can't, we can't rate them at this point. Now, if we're going by reputation and what they've done at other schools, uh, we don't know of Neil Calloway to be this dynamic recruiter. Um, we don't know of Tommy Robinson really being necessarily a dynamic recruiter. I think Tommy Robinson is more of an NFL guy, a guy that is a good recruiter on campus. Uh, I think he works well with the families. I think he's very good at, uh, at probably closing the deal more than he's going to be a guy that's a trailblazer. Trailblazer being those young guys like Tosh Lapoy, uh, those young guys like Chuyasa Sopo, 
those young guys that get out there like T. Martin that blaze the trail and work hard to try to get every – like they offer a bunch of guys. They're out there evaluating a bunch of guys. They're moving and shaking. It's a relentless pursuit of recruits. Um, I don't think USC has a ton of guys like that on the staff right now. I think, you know, Tommy Robinson, Neil Calloway. I do think Tyson Helton might be one of those guys that's a bit of a trailblazer. I think he's going to be very dynamic. I think personality-wise, he'll be out there um, doing good things for USC, and I think that's probably a guy that's an asset for recruiting. But, you know, how they all work at USC, again, we just kind of have to wait and see. I think this cycle is done. I don't think we can really – uh, uh, grade them a lot on what's been done this cycle. You know, they've got to try to close strong with the guys that they have a good place, you know, kind of good position with. Um, if they lose some of those guys, then you still have some question marks, but still, you got to really look at the 2017 class uh, to be able to judge. All right. Well, Gerard, great stuff. A little over an hour, so not too bad. I think we rapid fired at the end pretty well, but uh, thanks for coming on and sharing all the recruiting insights. Hopefully everyone enjoyed it out there. Thanks for having me. I'll talk to you next week, probably. Yeah, I think we'll definitely do at least one a week. Someone was, someone emailed me and said, why aren't you doing two podcasts a week for recruiting? But, um, that's a lot. And, uh, we're putting a ton of information up, of course, on uscfootball.com. We'll have some more, a lot of stuff going on. Should be fun this weekend. Make sure you're around the site this weekend. I think some exciting stuff will be going on. So check that out. Thanks for tuning in to the, uh, Peristyle podcast and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.